Ladies and gentlemen, take out your protractors, set your scale rules to three fourths of an inch, and remember that everything you build will crumble to dust. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Talk Tell to Me. I am Nick McGill. And I am Omen Said. And we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tell to Me, a blueprint where we reverse engineer every Tull album one song at a time. I definitely thought you had more on that. I, I thought I did, too. <laughs> we will take the disparate pieces from a variety of albums and put together a bizarre-looking piece of architecture that most people would think is hideous, but we love deep down in our hearts. From the cottage crafts aesthetic of stand-up through the Spanish brutalism of the late 80s, Every song a style, every album a house, every house a disaster. <laughs> what, what that all means is we're going to be talking tall to you. <laughs> exactly. And this week, before we get into things, we got, we've got a little more thick as a brick errata, a little, little thick as a brick lore for you. Yeah. And uh, this is, this is a, a quote from Ian Anderson about the character that is Gerald Bostock. And this mm. is from that really awesome Jethro Tull prog rock magazine that I have. And it's a, a direct quote. I'll give it to you here. Yes, there's an autobiographical element in what I wrote. As a child, I was a bit of a rebel. Surprise. Most of my peers aspired to going to grammar school, getting eight O levels and three A levels, and a couple of owls, I imagine, in there. Any newts? Uh, yeah, yeah, right after the newt. Then becoming part of conventional society. That never appealed to me. I was the sort of child who loved spending time collecting pond life and then analyzing it. I also loved science fiction stories of the era, the 1950s, because they told of a different, exciting future. So I stood apart from others of my age and drew on this for the character of Gerald Bostock. But he himself is a fiction. Hmm. Now, Omen. Yeah, Nick. That is very important. It is. And that's been, that's what Ian Anderson has always said. Yep. We're going to come back to the fact that he analyzed Pond Life later. Songs from the Pond, my favorite album. Songs from the Pond, yes. <laughs> so, yes, Ian Anderson has made the, the claim over the 30, 40 years now of of Thick as a Brick, yeah. that Gerald Bostock is a completely fictional character. Right, made up out of the head of Ian Anderson to to work as a, a mouthpiece for himself, a, a mask of himself, as it were, so he could further hide his uh, his intentions and, and, and layer the joke of the album Thick as a Brick. Right, yeah, it, it really helps to cement the... It's just an added element of the, of the concept. And so for almost 50 years... Everyone has accepted the fact that Gerald Bostock is a fictional character. However, mm -hmm. Nick. However. 
we have received an email that disputes that claim. This is 100% fact. We are not being facetious here. We do have an email. We're not going to talk about it just yet because there is a lot of investigation to do. We don't want to present you with any information that is spurious or misleading or or poorly researched. And so we're going to do our due diligence. Mm-hmm. But needless to say, we have what could be some pretty hot goss. I'm pretty excited about that. So hopefully we'll get back That's to you correct. relatively soon. And until then, why don't we just jump right into the next track off of Thick as a Brick? What is the quote-unquote title of this section? This is the next five and a half minutes. So it is, let's see, it's ten and a half minutes in so far. The next five and a half minutes we have, What do you do when the old man's gone? And from the upper class. This portion of Talk Tall to Me is brought to you by Daddy Issues. (laughs) I forgot about that, yeah. (laughs) Let's have a listen. Yep. What do you do when the old man's gone? Do you want to be him? Banana, banana. Yeah. Yeah, breaking it up into tracks is it's a little jarring when it ends because we know what's what's coming up. It is, and and because it is all one track, it feels unresolved. Yes, yeah, it really does. Yeah. I find that I have to take a couple seconds to breathe after we stop each of these uh sections. Yeah. Yeah, cuz it it's it, your your mind is already moving on to the next part. Yeah. But the next but the next part isn't there. Not until next week. So not until next week. Give us review and we'll see you then. So so thoughts, thoughts on daddy issues 101 here. Goodness me, Nick. They they are ever so so thick, so thick and tasty. Let's let's start musically first before we get into the the meaty contents. Let's do. Let's Nick talk about the Hammond organ. Oh, it's so prominent in this. It's really nice. It's working overtime. Yeah. John Evan is really, really earning his keep here. And, you know, we've talked before about how how much influence he had on the album. And, it's you know, this is a great section to showcase really, really what that means and what that looks like. Yeah, it carries it carries so much on its back as a through line throughout really the whole album. But we hear it. We hear it really. This is a great example. It's just it's it's percussive. It's charging it's chugging forward it's really it's keeping the movement going and he's using the he's using the superpower of the Hammond organ by switching back and forth between those different sounds mm-hmm. you, you know almost almost mid mid phrase and producing these wonderful contrasts yeah well that's the the beauty of the organ in general and that's really proof of someone who knows what the heck they're doing 
with an organ, yeah. like who can really take advantage of it. The organ was essentially like a proto keyboard, really. It, the the ability to manipulate and tweak where the sound is coming from and the amount of air and things like that, like it's it's really cool. Do you want to hear a little bit about the about the organ? Oh sure, yeah, that could help us put it into perspective a little bit. I'm just going to read from the Wikipedia page. The Hammond organ, the Jeffrey Hammond Hammond organ, is an electric organ invented by Lawrence Hammond and John M. Harnett. Hmm. Notice it wasn't called the Harnett organ. Yeah. And first manufactured in 1935. Various models have been produced, most of which use sliding draw bars to vary sounds. Until 1975, Hammond organs generated sound by creating an electric current from a rotating metal tone wheel near an electromagnetic pickup and then strengthening the single the signal with an amplifier to drive a speaker cabinet. Nick, I don't really even know all there. the things that I just said. <laughs> really. So it started as a low-cost alternative to the wind-driven pipe album. Pipe album? Pipe my, organ. My favorite, my favorite <laughs> pipe album. album. It started as a low-cost alternative to the wind-driven pipe organ. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you can fit a whole heck of a lot more in electronics into a smaller space as opposed to something that requires bellows and air moving through specific-sized parts. Right, there are fewer, like fewer moving parts. Even though there are moving parts, there are a lot fewer of them. Yeah. Yeah, both 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 physically and, and more metaphorically. Yeah. The Hammond organ's technology derives from the teleharmonium, an instrument created in 1897, wow. the year that Ian Anderson was born, yep. by Thaddeus Cadhill. The teleharmonium used revolving electric alternators which generated tones that could be transmitted over wires. The instrument was bulky enough to require several railway cars for its transportation <laughs> Holy cow. because the alternators had to be large enough to generate high voltage for loud enough signal. Yeah. Hammond organ solved this, pro- this problem by using an amplifier. Huh, okay. So, so they, they took the creation of the signal portion of the original and just hooked it up to an amp. Yeah, they just plugged it in. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So now it yeah. only needs three train cars instead so now- of... <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, is that the circus coming to town? No, it's, uh, it's, it's Jethro it's Tull. Jethro that's Tull. their organ. Yeah. <laughs> first, the first two train cars are for the organ. The, the next seven are for Ian Anderson's ego. And the last one is the rest of the band. And the <laughs> yes, the last one is the the lion cage is where is where the bassist lives until they let him out. <laughs> so yes, very very organ heavy, but also something I noticed for the first time in, in listening to this track is there are some really killer drum fills in here that I haven't. There noticed really before. are. It's it's great. Some lovely delicate things too. It's not your your Bunkernian drum solo, but it's also more than just like I'm keeping time. So Tom snare, Tom snare bass. No, Tom, it's really yeah. it's really intelligent. Barrymore Barlow is starting to prove that he has some nuance and some technique here. That's really nice. Not that yeah. Clive didn't. No, but, but this is this is a Barry less is more Barlow. But 
gosh. But Clyde, we we did not come up with the bunker bash phrase just for giggles. Like there there was a seed of truth there. Right. And this is this is nice. Barrymore has has a little more little more finesse to it. Is it because he had seven fingers on each hand, Nick? And a pair of hands on each knee. So mm. he can hold extra that really helps. It does. Extra sticks. Yep. Yep. So Nick, going now we've sort of talked about the instrumentation in one way, one way or another. Let's little let's talk about what the instruments are are really doing. So there's this this running theme mm-hmm. of this English air that's being repeated and set up against other things, but it's a theme throughout this entire 5 minutes, the sort of doom 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 And then, um, you know, the, the flute kind of riffs off of that. Yeah. But it, it, it's also, I want to tie back to what our nemesis Ben Gerson said, that <laughs> there, there's, there's that chugging, that like marching. He said there's kind of like a marching feel to it. There is. And that really helps that. And, and I think that's kind of what he was getting at is that's what that, that sound kind of feels to me is it, it's... It's just gradually, it's just moving, it's pushing along on this song. And going back to what we were talking about last episode with the, the notion of duality and opposite, which, have, which is a theme throughout, yeah. this is a good example of how that's being done musically, where you have that driving, not necessarily military, but, but military-adjacent march mm-hmm. going on, and then contrasting that with the, the more delicate, less regimented, English country, almost folk song feel, and it sometimes those are playing at the same time. Sometimes they're jumping back and forth between the two of them, but they're always being presented in contrast. And I think that 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 pull between these two very disparate styles and ideas is really the musical theme of the entire album. Yeah, yeah, musically and lyrically, they. They, there is enough variety of these these general ideas that it doesn't get old and overplayed. No. And I, 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 I'm thinking that that marching feeling, that kind of chugging along, that's probably a very effective way to keep the ear even subconsciously connected to this song because a, mm. a 45 minute track, it's very easy to. Fade kind of out. Tune out. Yeah. 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 But but that that little bit can kind of just tie you in and just keep you going. Well, and by in the same in the same vein, it's not just the it's not just the same themes being repeated, but even right. even within them they will distort them. I mean, that's sort of what the brilliant the brilliant usage of the Hammond organ by John Evan allows him to distort. Uh, a phrase, either mid-phrase or, you know, play it once normal and then play it once distorted Mm -hmm. so that the ear has to work harder to be like, oh, wait, I I recognize that. I know what that is, but now it sounds slightly different. And so, yeah, you totally, it keeps your interest going. Yeah, it's it's not ambient music. It's not designed with, with, 
with constant repetition so you can kind of fade out like they the the goal i'm i'm assuming the goal was to keep the listener and the the challenge too what right. a, what a cool challenge to face is i have 45 minutes to do a concept album on this one side of this album let's let's keep them let's yeah. hook them as long as possible hook them and hook them and play them yeah. until they're so tired that you can just reel them in at the end yeah and then the 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 last thing I want to talk about musically, yes, is is going back to that organ that you're talking about that da, 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 na, 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 and that transition between the two kind of portions of this song. I really love how how brash that transition is. It's it it chugs along. And then it stops and it seems like it's going to transition into a new piece. Right. And then it jarringly falls back to that organ that dun, 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 and they they bounce back and forth like two or three times. Let's actually and, have a listen to one of those moments right now, Nick. Yeah, I'll, I'll drop that chunk in right here. Ooh, how delightful we just heard it. It dropped in, chunked in. I just I really like that. It's not it it kind of wakes you up for the last quarter of this side of the album right. to to really throw the transition into your face as opposed to being like and we are still going. You know, the other big contrast that that this section moves back and forth between is the the uh, instrumental section and the the lyrical section, mm-hmm. and there are some lovely drum pickups uh, throughout to kind of yeah. cue you to get ready for lyrics. There's that kind of it's almost like in Shakespeare where where certain certain rhythms are are used to alert the ear that a transition is happening, like a like a rhyming couplet at the end of the, the end of a scene. Yeah, whether whether you consciously know it and can like academically recognize it, it yeah. still does something in the ear that 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 kind of notifies you to let you yeah. know something is hap- something new is happening. There's a change coming up. Human beings are very rhythmically aware. Yeah, except for white people, but still, <laughs> a little little joke. But no, you're you're totally right, and you know, in, infants can can recognize the difference between different kinds of rhythms, mm-hmm. you know, before they can speak. Yeah, it is it is an inherent thing which makes which makes music and musicality so so fascinating on on an artistic but also a scientific level. Yeah, it's primal. There's something primal about yeah, it, yeah, and that's it, what it's the original why, language. It is, and that's why I think we love Jethro Tull so much, Nick, because it combines the primal driving rhythms with the highly intellectual, upper-level thinking that Ian Anderson brings to the table. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that. I think we, um, solved, we solved Jethro Tull. We did. Goodbye, everyone. Good night. <laughs> so speaking of daddy speaking issues. of Mr. Anderson, speaking oh. of daddy issues, let's move into the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're in this portion. There's not a whole lot lyrically, but there is certainly enough. There's 
There's <laughs> enough to keep us occupied. Yes. Yeah. What do you do when the old man's gone? Do you want to be him? Ooh boy, let's just unpack that, Nick, shall we? Well, classically, your old man is generally a, a term referring to your father. Oh, certainly, yes. I'm assuming. And uh, you know, just that line alone really, I think, sums up a, a huge percentage of. Uh, Sorry, can you hear Tiki? I, I did hear her, yeah. That line alone sums up a huge quantity of, like, Western literature and and Western psychology. Becoming your father, whether you want to or not? Absolutely. What do you, what do, you do? Yeah. If you, if you don't want to, you inevitably do. And if you do want to, you inevitably fail. Right. I mean, it look is... at Hamlet. Yeah. What do you, I mean, that could be, that line could summarize the entire play of Hamlet. What do you do when the old man's gone? <laughs> yeah. Do you or, want to be him? Or Oedipus Let's talk too. about it for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oedipus. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a question which, which has fundamentally haunted writers ever since the invention of written language. Yeah. And Nick, do we think that, at the at the time of the writing or the recording of this album that that Ian Anderson's father had in fact died because we've had several songs sort of leading up to it i know i don't think so i think he survived a bit longer he survived thick as a brick he he may have yeah we <laughs> might not but his father did i think <laughs> well whether or not the president of the boiler fluid company was in fact alive at this time. I think that Ian is clearly grappling with the with the the inevitable, mm-hmm. the the death yeah. of his father. Right, and 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 what he what he is making of his life and has made of his life up to this point. Right, and I think that the you know the issue with that question is whether or not. You want to, quote-unquote, be the old man. There is both, and simultaneously, the inevitability that you will take the place of, of the father figure and the certainty that however you do it, you will have to do it in your own way because you ultimately can only ever be yourself. It's just like in the film Mulan. When Mulan takes the place of her father because he's too old to go to war, but she does it in her own special way, and that's why it's a brilliant film. Yes, that. Ian is realizing that he must be swift as the coursing river. Just around the riverbend? Well, that's the different different movie. And I, I think it also ties in with the next line. And your real self sings the song, Do You Want to Free Him? Again, this is tying back 
to the poet and the soldier. Yes, exactly, and the the youngest of the family versus the the oldest. Yeah, do you replace your dad and take over the the boiler fluid company, or do you or go do into you a be, rock band? Do you be your real self? Yeah, that's the yeah. choice. It's like, do you present this sort of socially acceptable but false outward image, or do you do you painfully become the iconoclast that you know you are? Right, which which was. Far more of a daunting choice at that time. Yeah, like we have it easy. We can be. I mean, we're you and I are podcasting right now. We we are podcasting beyond our father's wildest dreams <laughs> or their wishes for the family. <laughs> <laughs> Gone way further than they would like us to. <laughs> well, and that struggle comes in the next two lines. No one to help you get upstream, and the whirlpool turns you way off beam. Ah, now Nick, here we have a lovely antiquated phrase, off beam. Do you have an idea what it means? I have an idea. Would you like to know the origin? I want you to actually tell me. But oh, before we do that, you yes. said no one to help you get upstream. Yeah. The lyrics I'm looking at say get up steam. Oh, it does say steam. I but just read it wrong. Stream makes sense in the terms that the this this couplet is a water metaphor, right? But actually, actually, steam makes more sense. And now I will reveal to you the origin of the phrase "off beam." Okay, good. All right, "off beam" refers to an early. 20th century form of navigation for both steamer ships and then slightly uh, later for airplanes. Okay. A port city or a, an air base would broadcast a thin radio signal. So oh, so like a locally okay. confined s small beam, literally a beam of radio signals that would shoot out in a very specific direction. And so as the vessel you could you could know even if you know even if you had nothing else because because there was no gps you couldn't really tell where you were right easily unless you wanted to get out your sextant and your astrolabe but what if it's cloudy so you would use this beam <laughs> everyone stop to, just like think about it what if it's cloudy what <laughs> what if it's cloudy <laughs> so you would you would just turn on your receiver and you would know are you on course if you can hear the beam, if you if you register the beam, then you are on course. If you yeah. are off beam, you're off course, and you have to figure it out. So being on beam or off beam is is being on the right track or not on the right track. And beam in the sense that think about think about if you listen to a radio station and you're listening to like ninety point five, you can generally twist the dial a little bit and go up to ninety point seven or down to ninety point three and still hear bits and pieces of that radio station. Mm. A tight beam is going to be ninety point five and if you stray off of that at all, you're not gonna hear anything. Well and this was actually f physically straying off. Or receive anything. Yeah, well exactly. 
but I, I'm just trying to to put into a, a context what a, t- a tight beam in the sense of oh, I got you. of a radio signal would be right but it was also it was also they they had a a, a way of of making it only broadcast in one direction mm, like physically sent out like a beam of light yeah so a very a very tight specific transmitter of a of a radio signal as opposed to a full dish which is a broader broader device exactly so you could only hear it if you were going in the right direction sort of mm, on, on this okay. little like like imagine shining a flashlight right right or, or a, laser. A, a laser a laser versus a, laser. a flashlight yeah let's all think about lasers for a moment everybody if everybody in the world thought about lasers for just like two seconds what do you think would happen we'd, we'd waste probably... two seconds oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've come down from the upper class to oh, mend your nope, rotten ways. Nope, nope, nope. I want to go what? back to no one to help you get up steam. Okay. okay. Oh, oh, because it's the shipping metaphor, because it's a steamship. And Holman, so, what? what? What is boiler fluid? Uh, fluid for a boiler, and a boiler creates steam. Well... Yes. Yeah. I. What? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you would be way more impressed. I think that I never I, know what to expect from you, Oman. That's After how I like it. Twenty years of friendship. Twenty. You know, that's, I I love where you're 20. going with it, because I would have never made the connection between those <laughs> two kinds of boilers. But I think that there is a fundamental difference in that the boiler fluid is the kind of stuff that you would pump through radiators to heat a house, whereas the boiler on a ship, which makes steam, is doesn't recycle the fluid. But but there's still steam connected to both of those things. There maybe. <laughs> radiators are steam. Or are they boiler fluid? I mean, what is boiler fluid, Nick? Well, they put they put off steam. That's what a radiator does. And that's how it heats. Is it's not just it's not just around the area. It'll also off put steam. Well, then what's the fluid? That's the the bulk of what goes through the coils. I think. Tune in to our other podcast, oh Banter Boiler Fluid. To we me, we really need to figure that out. Where we talk about different kinds of boilers. You know, I have a friend who makes boilers. Really? Yeah, in upstate New York. Maybe I'll ask him. A boiler is a closed vessel in which fluid, generally water, is heated. The fluid does not necessarily boil. The heated or vaporized fluid exits the boiler for use in various processes or heating applications, including water heating, central heating, boiler-based power generation, cooking and sanitation. We need to have your friend on the show. Yeah, I think we do. In the meantime... Yeah. In the meantime, Nick, I think that you bring up a very good point, which is there is a... There is a steam to boiler jump that I think is is for those such as you who have subtle minds recognizable. So subtle, don't, sometimes you wonder. <laughs> don't try and flatter me. You've already ruined it. <laughs> so right, no one to help you get up steam. Yeah. Interesting, Nick, because your daddy has abandoned you. And left you with the boiler fluid industry. Left you with the Boiler Fluid Company, but instead you're going to start a rock and roll band. That's right. And disappoint everyone. So, Nick, now that we've spent 30 minutes on that 
stanza. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's wrap let's wrap this up. Wrap up this stanza here. I've come down from the upper class to mend your rotten ways. My father was a man of power whom everyone obeyed. Now, Nick, before we can go any further, I have to point out that that usage of the word whom is used by grammar Nazis, sorry, by grammar aficionados <laughs> Thank you. across the world to, to talk about the correct usage of the word whom. Oh, that, that line is used as... As evidence of the proper use of whom? Yeah. I didn't know that. Because it would be easy to say my father was a man of power who everyone obeyed. But that would be, well, yeah. that would imply that he obeyed everyone. Who? Whereas saying whom everyone obeyed means that everyone around him obeyed him. My father was a man of power who... Oh, shouldn't it be who... Obeyed everyone? I don't see you how changing also, the who and whom changes the meaning. Because if you say who, who everyone. Oh, it would need a comma there. Yeah, but. But it still, it still makes sense. But yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I, I, I appreciate that. I don't think if, if this were not Gerald Bostock writing this, mm. we wouldn't have seen that whom. Oh, you think? I do think. I do think. I can't think therefore of another you are. time. I do not think, therefore, I am not. I amped. Non cogito ergo non sum? Yeah. Yeah. I, or I think... non, non cogito ergo poof. <laughs> ergo. <laughs> I, I don't... I think that is... I think that is an affectation for this character. I do. I think it's just proper grammar. I mean, it is also that. But there's nothing Tune into our other podcast, Gabble Grammar to Me. G- gabble? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My goodness. I- at any rate, grammar aside, we are talking about a powerful, powerful father figure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. There sounds like there is a degree of respect slash almost fear there even if it's not present fear like like he was an intimidating figure as while gerald was a child yeah and so the effect of him lingers on yes yeah that is that is the the overall underlying theme or flavor of the father even if their relationship uh, had changed or gotten better or what have you later on in life the there will always the be that the flavor of the, it's my favorite ben and jerry's <laughs> well right and then you know speaking of that that the the effects of time we have that in the next couple of lines mm-hmm. so So come on, all you criminals, I've got to put you straight, just like I did with my old man 20 years too late. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a, his, what a history is revealed to us in such a, a small number of words, Nick. It's 
for being under the guise of Gerald Bostock, I this feels l- like very therapeutic and cathartic. And and this is all presumption. I mean, we generally don't know a whole lot of his the relationship that he had with his father, but based on a lot of the the music, yeah. those bits and pieces that we've seen so far in reading between the lines, four and a half albums, five albums. This is, I mean, it's un, unless he's that good and he's just writing these songs for the sake of writing songs. I mean, I think that he, I think that when you write as much as Ian Anderson was writing during these days. Mm. I mean, everyone's different, right? But I think that in in my experience of writing, there is a when you re, when you do it a lot, there's a kind mm-hmm. of a stream of consciousness, yeah, that that overtakes where it becomes automatic, and so you're just writing, and you're not necessarily, you know, and the better a writer you are, the less you filter yourself, right? And it's it's easier to pull even subconsciously from what you know than it is to create from whole cloth. Absolutely. Well, and as and as Hemingway said, write drunk, edit sober. By <laughs> this which gun meant... tastes funny. What's that? <laughs> this this gun tastes funny. Too soon. Or just just crass and disrespectful. Right. So, write drunk, edit sober. Right. By which he meant write drunk, edit drunk, move to the move to the Key West, continue to be drunk. You made this exact same joke. Drunk, drunk, drunk. Gosh, I don't it's, even know. It it's an oldie have, but a goodie, Nick. I think it was this was. I think it was that long ago. So about a year old. This joke is a year old at least, Oman. Uh, <laughs> obviously, Ian Anderson wasn't writing drunk, I think, because he's he's uh, he's uh, notorious for his sobriety. Yep. Among several other things, he is notorious for his sobriety. Right. But the concept, I think, fits in our supposition that he is – his writing process is – is under the theory that we're working with is one of of just prolific getting it onto the page and then figuring yeah. it out later and i think yeah. that that is you know when you do that that reveals the the person yeah because you don't when you come up with something so good even if it is on the more personal side you don't want to edit it too much you don't want to really take away from the the underlying thesis because that will ruin what you've written right it, it over editing will will directly cancel out that unhindered flow right and all the great writers reveal things about themselves intentionally or not yeah edgar allan poe loved birds shakespeare oscar wilde loved men <laughs> the only writer who really as far as I know, was able to completely hide any sense of their own personality was Bach. I've never read any of his works. It's it's, it's pretty boring to read. It's just E-A-B-B-B-A-D-A-G. A couple C's in there. A couple C's, maybe a flat. Oof, Nick. So what else do we want to say about this part of the track? I like it... It's having so little lyrically as as we're doing th- this in chunks, like we said, it's we're kind of it's we're kind of looking at it very boiled down, boiler fluided down. And this is <laughs> this is 
this is a, a, a concentrated version of this chunk of the song. So, of course, we're going to be focusing really on the daddy theme and the daddy issues and not kind of looking back or looking ahead. But I, I think by the end of the whole thing, we'll be able to kind of piece it all together because the, the, the very last track of the whole or the very last chunk of the whole album is is a, a reprise so it's it kind of right. goes back to original themes and then i think we'll be able to see the whole thing on a much grander scale but this section is so daddy heavy that i find heavy it daddy. hard to talk about a heavy daddy that i find it hard to talk about much else yeah thematically but but this is a very good chunk for the music section i think there's one more little line that i want to pull out the last two lines we we have a possible change of topic that I want to pull out. I'll judge you all and make damn sure that no one judges me. This is sort of a, a fascinating reversal of the biblical injunction to judge not lest mm. ye be judged. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tiki. I agree. It's sort of, you know, taking that and flopping it on its head. Rather than judge not lest ye be judged, it's judge hardcore and don't let anyone judge you. Yeah. Which is, I think, you know, going from the, the Anderson kind of critique of the church seems to be like maybe what was what his experience mm, was of, okay. of what was practiced. Yeah. Judge so hard no one dares to judge you. Yeah. yeah. Keep the judgment in your hand. And keep yourself above the law. One judgment in the hand is worth two in the bush. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Yeah. And this this line kind of ties back. I'm trying to look for where we saw it. Oh, yeah. There we go. It's back, back in the beginning. It's the, and your wise men don't know how it feels to be thick as a brick. Mm. Your wise men are so smart. They're, they're disconnected. Right. But the I character, the narrator, is I may make you feel, but I can't make you think. He is he's the one who can judge because he has the the, the broadest of views. He can hmm. look at the the really thick people and he can look at the really wise people and he can he can relate to them both, he can connect to them both kinds, and therefore he is the one who can judge. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'm thinking we're, we're far enough in that we can maybe start kind of trying to put the pieces together and see if there are connections as we're moving along. Or, Nick, are we looking at something akin to the ages of man? I mean, in, in the beginning, is it, you know, mm. the boy who, who is outside of society in a way because he is both more intelligent than the, than the mean and also he's a kid and so you know that's that's a special place in society where you are in it but not participating in it and now we have it come full circle to he's taken the place of his old man whether he knows how to or wants to or not and so is in the place of being the judge okay yeah i <laughs> like oh okay step away put down the podcast before anyone gets hurt i had to process that but i i think that's that's a good way we have seen that that progression of our narrator, even though, even though we have to think of the narrator as as being a tw- a twelve year old boy. Well, it's being written by the twelve year old boy. 
But at the same time, that's also just the the conceit, and that's that's just right. part of the joke. That every what that I think the premise is both that yes, it is, and also of course it isn't. So it's the sort of is is not. Yeah, is and not is. I think I need to. I think I need to hang less on the Gerald Bostock conceit, and and just think of it more as a tongue in cheek. Because as mm. much as he says it's being written by a 12-year-old and things like that, everybody knows, including Ian Anderson, everybody knows that it's Ian Anderson who wrote this. And he expects everyone to know and operate under the, the assumption that the lyrics are coming from Ian Anderson. Right. Except when it's convenient, of course, and to play the joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is conveniently layered when, when it works for yeah. the piece. So, Nick. Omen. What are we listening to next week? Next week is the wrap-up of Side A, actually. Mm. So, if this were created now, it would be a full, what, hour and a half album. You know, without without a break in there. Sound-wise, there would not be a break. Okay. But because of the constraints of the medium at the time there needed to be a stopping point so you could flip the record over so you could physically flip the record over yeah yeah so so the the last about seven minutes so that's 10 15 16 16 minutes in the last about seven minutes is going to be you curl your toes in fun childhood heroes and stabs instrumental amazing and I think this this is going to tie up all of the any new themes, any new melodies that we're going to be hearing throughout. And then side B is going to be taking something that has been established previously and twisting it. A lot like John Evans' organ playing that we discussed earlier in in the episode is it's yeah. we take something that we've heard before and we tweak it a little bit we twist it whether it's lyrically or how we sing it or or just the instruments being played at the time we're going to see a lot of that a little theme and variation yeah the classical roots of some of the musicians are playing yeah and i i think i genuinely think that it, it really helps to to provide a sense of progression there beyond just yeah. like the chugging along and whatnot i think it really helps to to show there's an evolution that something has happened or is going to happen in this portion. Right. Well, Nick, until next week, I'm Daddy Omen. You know what you can do when the old man's gone? What's that? You can go to iTunes and give us a review. You can rate us for five stars. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're from the upper class or the middle class or the lower class, or you don't pin yourself into a class at all because it's all just a man-made structure, man. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. You can still give us a rating and a review because, unfortunately, iTunes does follow that structure. Right. And and we, we are at its mercy. You may never get approval from your own father, but you can get our approval by giving us a five star rating on iTunes. That's all it takes. Just consider that like bringing home a bunch of O-levels or 
whatever you you wacky Brits do. I'm sure we're going to hear from John on this one. Yeah. We'll put your review on our fridge with a little a little star, five little star stickers on it. How's that sound? That's right. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So until next week, he is Daddy Omen. He is Daddy Nick. Papa Nick, I prefer. <laughs> we are feckless daddies. And this is Talk Daddy to Me. Ben, thanks for coming into my office. Oh, no problem, Jerry. Uh, what, what do you What do you got? You got a new creation? I've got an I've got an idea. It's going to be called okay. the flavor of the father. Father's Day is oh. coming up soon. Oh my so, god! So so I want to put this out. What What's going to go in it? I I love it. Like stale coffee is, is going to be the base, right? Oh, a splash of like a whiskey swirl in the middle. A little taste of the belt. Yep, yep. Leather. I like that. Leather pieces. Good. And we'll and we'll put right on the front of it. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. I just want your acceptance. <laughs>